following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Thank you so much for leading us in prayer this morning, Dal. Uh, so this morning we are returning to the lectionary. Uh, this is a, a time of Lent where we're, we're really, um, as we're going through this um, season of preparation for Easter, we are um, really turning to um, the scripture and scripture readings. Um, if you've been coming to Artisan in the last several months, you may have noticed that a lot of our sermon topics have been pretty topical, and um, so today we're we're turning to we're using the um, common lectionary uh, to go through um, reflections on the Old Testament reading, a New Testament reading, and a reading from the Gospel. Uh, so this morning we have, we'll be blessed to hear uh, reflections from uh, three of our fellow artisan um, people, and um, also just to keep uh, uh, Scott in your prayers this morning as he's getting much-deserved and, and much-needed uh, rest and uh, recovery. Uh, so uh, first we'll have Jesse Pierce uh, reflecting on Genesis, followed by um, Chris Sullivan reflecting on Romans, um, and then um, Brian Grossman reflecting on John. I said it wrong, but you'll, you'll see what happens. Hello? All right, so I'm Jesse, and uh, I'm going to talk about the Genesis passage, which is one of my favorites. And uh, this year, uh, I've been making a more conscious effort with my kids to go through the Bible and uh, just devour a little bit of it every day. And um, it's been a lot of fun. And uh, because I'm Mr. You know, History, Mr. Chronology, I start at the beginning. And so we've been starting with Genesis and talking about the early stories of the Bible. And I actually got some old Bible cartoons that I had watched in the 80s, and we're supplementing our Bible reading with those Bible cartoons, which are bringing back a lot of fond memories. So it's been a lot of fun. And again, we're still early on in Genesis. And, um, you know, the point that's come across in a lot of our discussions so far, of course, is just how humanity keeps messing up. You know, we, we get off to a really lousy start. And, you know, God wants to give us beauty and blessing and relationship with him, and we just continually mess it up. You know, Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, the flood, we just get off to a really lousy start. And uh, so God formulates a plan. And as C.S. Lewis says, this plan includes God's selection of one particular people and spending several centuries hammering into their heads the sort of God he was. And God gives this people a unique calling And that's what we're going to read about in Genesis chapter 12, uh, verses 1 to 4. You can look them up in the Red Bibles. I am going to be reading from a different translation. That's one of the benefits of Scott not being here. I can choose the translation that I want to read from. So I'm going to read from uh, The Voice, which is what I read at home. And uh, it's not a paraphrase. It's it's an actual translation. So again, Genesis 12, 1 through 4. One day, the Eternal One called out to Abram, Abram. Get up and go. Leave your country, 
Leave your relatives and your father's home and travel to the land I will show you. Don't worry, I will guide you there. I have plans to make a great people from your descendants, and I'm going to put a special blessing on you and cause your reputation to grow so that you will become a blessing and example to others. I will also bless those who bless you and further you in your journey, and I'll trip up those who try to trip you along the way. Through your descendants, all of the families of the earth will find their blessing in you. Without any hesitation, Abram went. He did exactly as the Eternal One asked him to do. Abram, at age 75, took his family and all of their possessions, and they all set off toward the land of Canaan. So, you know, as Abraham's, you know, great, 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 great grandchildren, we share in this promise and call. And we are blessed in order to be a blessing. And it's such a beautiful idea. Uh, I quoted Shane Claiborne back in uh, Advent week one when I said that God wins people over through fascination. And, you know, who wouldn't want to be part of a blessed community that overflows continually blessing others? That's who we're called to be. Who wouldn't be attracted to that? And I think if you look at the history of the church, we get through... We go through phases where we concentrate on the early part of that verse, be blessed, and we just pray, just bless me, God, bless me, enlarge my territory, bless me, bless me. And when it becomes about us, I think that's when the opposite happens. The world is repulsed by our way of life when it becomes all about us. But what a beautiful idea to be blessed in order to, to be a blessing. Um, but it's kind of vague, isn't it? It's so vague. I don't grasp uh, big ideas like that. And so fortunately, uh, later on in the book of Genesis in chapter 18, God kind of expounds upon this idea, this call to Abraham. And so in addition to reading Genesis 12, 1 through 4, uh, I'm also going to read Genesis 18, 18 and 19, which I um, came across a couple weeks ago um, in my own Bible time, and I was, I was struck by it. So here's Genesis 18, and this is God speaking. After all, Abraham will become the father of a great and powerful nation, and all the other nations of the earth will find their blessing in him. I have chosen him for a reason, namely that he will carefully instruct his children and his household to keep themselves strong in relationship to me, to walk in my ways by doing what is good and right in the world, and by showing mercy and justice to all others. So that's how we're a blessing to the world. Um, you know, I'm not really a bullet points guy, but there you go, three, three bullet points. That's how we live out this calling. I have chosen Abraham for a reason, namely that he will carefully instruct his children and his household to keep themselves strong in relationship to me, to walk in my ways by doing what is good and right in the world, and by showing mercy and justice to all others. So because it's Lent, and Lent is a time of internal reflection, as we talked about um, introducing the church here back in Advent, uh, the theme of Advent was, you know, the world is messed up. We live in a broken, fallen world. God, come deliver us, come save us from this broken world. And Lent is similar, but as our series is called, Lent is much more internal. Uh, the problem is me. The problem is my sin. And so what I thought we would do in light of this Genesis passage is just take a few moments and examine our hearts um, I wasn't able to go to Community of the Savior with all of you or with many of you on Ash Wednesday. So Aiden and I, my six-year-old son and I, we went to St. Paul's Episcopal for a 7 a.m. Uh, Ash Wednesday Mass, and we really enjoyed it. And the priest there, 
In a way, she likened uh, the season of Lent to spring training, where we examine our game, where we identify parts of our game that are rusty. And so that's what I'd like to do now in light of this passage. So if you would, please bow your heads, and we're going to examine ourselves in these three areas. So area number one, carefully instructing our children and our households to keep ourselves strong in relationship to God. As always here, you know, youth, singles, couples without kids, you're not off the hook. Are we making an effort to know God, to pursue God? The legacy that we leave, are we encouraging our families, extended families, co-workers, and neighbors to pursue God? To parents in the room, our time with our kids is so short. Our kids' childhoods fly by. Are we engaging with God together? So take a moment and reflect on that. Area number two. Walking in God's ways by doing what is good and right in the world. So I think this encompasses the ethical and the moral uh, decisions that we make. Are we walking in obedience? Are there areas in our lives where we've deviated from God's precepts, where we've slowly wandered away? Take a moment. And the third area, showing mercy and justice to all others. Are we hanging on to bitterness or unforgiveness? Are we playing life safe or are we reaching out and building relationships with those who are different, with those who are suffering? Are we using our resources and talents to lift others up? Take a moment and reflect. Let's pray. God, we live in a culture of consumption where to be happy is to consume. May our lives stand in contrast to the consumer culture around us. Help us not to be caught up in the world's dreams, but help our lives to be rooted in this narrative, in this call. In your name we pray, amen. So now it's time for our next passage. Chris? Oh, Brian. Oh. <laughs> we just wanted to throw you guys off today. All right, so I will be reading from Romans chapter 4, and I will use the Red Bible, so it's on page 916 if you'd really like to follow along. Uh, So we're going to start with verses 1 through 5 and then 13 through 17. What then are we to say was gained by Abraham, our ancestor, according to the flesh? 
For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. Now to one who works, wages are not reckoned as a gift, but as something due. But to one who without works trusts him who who justifies the ungodly, such faith is reckoned as righteousness. And skipping over to verse 13. For the promise that he would inherit the world did not come to Abraham or to his descendants through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. If it is the inheritance of the law who are to be heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, neither is there violation. For this reason it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his descendants, not only to the adherents of the law, but also to those who share the faith of Abraham, for he is the father of all of us. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. In the presence of God, in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence things that do not exist. It's kind of heady stuff for me at first. I have always really loved reading from Romans, um, coming from a more traditional Baptist family who harps on the judgmental qualities of God. Uh, Romans was always very uplifting to me and very centering. And um, like this, this just takes a whole lot of stress out of the picture for us. Um, and that, I'm really glad that I was uh, asked to read this passage for today. I, I wish that I could have given up stress at work for Lent, um, but it's, it's not happening. So the problem does lie with us, and that's, that's made abundantly clear in this passage. Um, and it's not what we're going to do about it, it's what God is going to do about it. I think my favorite verse is the end of verse 17, where it just, you know, just as an anecdote, just lays out the awesome power of God. Um, in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist, that wording is just so awesome. Like, that's just, you're picturing Genesis 1, the storms and the darkness as God is creating everything, and then flashing forward to, you know, as Jesse said, we're living in a broken world. I'm debating whether I want to share this, because it's really going to embarrass my wife and I. All right, so for the past year, we've been reading Harry Potter, book by book, and that's been, that's been going great. Um... And one of the coolest things is the power of love in that book. You know, the, he will have power that the Dark Lord knows not. And just the awesome power of love. And that is how God has really redeemed us through everything, everything that's happened from the time of Abraham up till now. You know, the wages, I, the word wage is used in here and... It always makes me think of the wages of sin is death. That was one of the verses that I had to memorize as a child. Um, you know, using the more modern term would be like paycheck. You know, my my paycheck is what I'm what I'm due, and what I'm really due, according to this, is not grace, is not love. It's you know something a little more harsh. But even though the problem was with me. God took it upon himself to change the world to make it right. You know, 
for the law brings wrath. You know, reading, you know, the law, the Torah parts of the Bible, you know, there's no way that we can, we can ever measure up. But where there is no law, neither is there violation. You know, and, you know, like God says in the Bible, he didn't send Jesus to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So it's complete. Where there is no law, neither is there violation. And that, the whole passage is just so profound. Like, God, God did all this for me. He did all it for you. And, like, we know that. We say it, you know, every Sunday. Oh, yeah, God's done so much for me. But to hear it in, in this really powerful language just kind of makes you stop and think. And I just wanted to share that with you this morning. So I'll call Chris up now. Good morning, everybody. I'm Chris. I don't know how Scott like sits on this table or this chair. <laughs> um, so my passage is John three one through seventeen. Should be right up there. Yep. But I actually want to start at John two twenty three to twenty five. It's just the last part of chapter two because I think it it's really a key for understanding this text. Um, and the theme that I kind of was thinking about as I was reflecting on this passage was that the story explores human darkness. Going along with our theme, the problem lies with me. Um, so if you would turn to um, John 2, uh, 23. I'm not using the Red Bible, so I don't know what page it's on. Um, but I'll start reading. When he was in Jerusalem during the Passover festival... Many believed in his name because they saw the signs that he was doing. But Jesus, on his part, would not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to testify about anyone. For he himself knew what was in everyone. So John chapter 3. Now there was a Pharisee named Nicodemus, a leader of the Jews. He came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. For no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus answered him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Nicodemus said to him, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Can one enter a second time into the mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I said to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the spirit. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you a teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Very truly I tell you, we speak of what we know and testify to what we have seen, yet you do not receive our testimony. If I have told you about earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except the one who descended from heaven, 
the Son of Man. And just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that in order that the world might be saved through him. So, the reason I started off with chapter 2, 23 through 25, is because um, it tells, or it, it explains that the people saw what Jesus was doing and believed, right? They saw the signs that he was um, working, the miracles that he was doing. Uh, but it also says Jesus knew what was in them, right? Implying that what was in them wasn't good, um, which led me to you know, suspect that they may have seen what Jesus was doing and believed in Jesus or trusted in Jesus because of it but didn't have any transformation in their own lives. Um, and so the, the text literally says in the Greek um, that although the people trusted in Jesus, Jesus did not entrust himself to them. Right? It's the same word. It's kind of a nice little word play. Um, so I think that's kind of setting the stage for actually the next three chapters where Jesus will talk with Nicodemus and then he'll talk with the woman at the well. Um, and then I'll talk with that other person, the blind man, who he ends up healing. Um, but for Nicodemus, um, uh, the theme that I kind of thought about was um, that the story explores human darkness, right? So in verse 1 it says, Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. Um, so it could, you know, just be a, a statement about the setting, but it could also be a statement about Nicodemus's character, it could be maybe John's way of saying that Nicodemus was in the dark, so to speak. Uh, maybe about who Jesus was um, and whatnot. So, interestingly enough, Nicodemus' first words to Jesus, right, is uh, that he and the Jewish leaders know uh, that Jesus is a teacher from God because of the signs that they had seen just like the people in Jerusalem during the Passover festival. Right? So he's essentially reiterating the same thing that came beforehand. Um, so he's essentially claiming, like, we get who you are, we understand, right? But Jesus corrects him, saying, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Well, what does that mean? Um, and, of course, Nicodemus takes Jesus' statement quite literally, um, saying, you know, how can a person enter his mother's womb again and be born? Um, so I was wondering, maybe that, or Nicodemus' statement further suggests that he is in the dark about what Jesus is actually doing, or is he trying to one-up Jesus? Right? Well, come on, man. You can't, you can't enter a mother, your mother's womb again right? and be born again, which is always a bad idea to one-up the one-up master. Right? <laughs> um, 
And so, you know, Jesus explains a little bit more and essentially says close to the same thing, being born of water and spirit. And that, that phrase is, is complicated. But um, essentially, he leads Nicodemus into saying that, like, how can these things be? Essentially, Nicodemus eventually cries uncle, right? Um, and it's at that point when Nicodemus confesses that he doesn't understand uh, that Jesus explains his mission and purpose to Nicodemus. Um, which I, I just think is really interesting because Nicodemus starts out saying, this is what we know, and we know it's true, you know? And in a roundabout way, Jesus leads him to say, well, how can this be, you know? And that's when Jesus for the first time actually in the Gospel of John, uh, describes what he is doing. Um, and, the, and then, of course, we've got the famous verse, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, which I just think is really, really profound. Um, and Like Jesus essentially leads him to understand that he is in some ways in the dark about who Jesus is. Um, and then concludes in verse, I know I stopped with verse 17, but in verse 19 um, and following all the way to 21, he, Jesus essentially concludes by saying that the light has come into the world. Now remember, they're still talking at night, right? The narrator made a point to say that Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And so he concludes his conversation with Nicodemus by saying, and this is the judgment, that the light has come into the world. And people loved darkness rather than the light. I wouldn't want to be Nicodemus hearing that, right? Because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may, be, may not be exposed. But those who do what is true come to the light so that it may be, may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. So one of the big um, like metaphors of John is the contrast between light and darkness, which bring with it the ethical implications, or ethical implications, right, um, that follow from understanding who Jesus is. So Nicodemus goes to Jesus by night, didn't understand who Jesus was or is, um, and essentially, Jesus enlightens him. A little pun on words there. Um, <clears throat> so, in reflecting on this text, oops, um, I think, like, Artisan, we're a pretty nerdy, intelligent group of people. You know, we're, we're a pretty smart bunch here. Um, and I think the temptation can sometimes be that you know, we can rely a lot on the things that we know and think we understand, you know, whether it be theology or science or professionalism, um, management, parenting, whatever it is, while not understanding and embodying what it means to be a follower of Christ, if that makes any sense, right? I think, like, sometimes we can really rely on our nerdy intelligence um, and Forget, you know, some 
that the ethical implications of being a follower of Christ are really, really, really important. Probably more so than, you know, understanding a lot of Christological or theological facts. Um, So I thought I would just conclude with a poem by Francis Bordelin, a 19th century poet um, that I, I really like. So he says, the night, the poem is called, The Night Has a Thousand Eyes. Uh, And he says, the night has a thousand eyes, and the day but one. Yet the light of the bright world dies with the dying sun. The mind has a thousand eyes, and the heart but one. Yet the light of a whole life dies when love is done. Thank you. Thank you all, um, Jesse and Brian and Chris, for blessing us with your reflections on the lectionary readings this morning. Um, This is now time for communion. We do communion uh, every week. Um, The table is open to everyone who is a follower of Christ, and um, if you're here today and um, are not sure where you fall in terms of Uh, following Christ. This is also just a special time for reflection. Um, And so uh, we here at Artisan Practice Intinction where we uh, break off a piece of the bread and and dip it in the wine or juice. Um, And so let's uh, spend this time in prayer and reflection um, uh, as uh, the band uh, comes up and um, plays for us. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.